God has a word for, for us from Hebrews chapter 2, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We reflected on the fact that the way to prevent drift in chapter 1 is to take our full attention and uh, focus it on Jesus, to uh, look beyond what the prophets pointed forward to, uh, to look uh, uh, beyond the angels. Christ is greater than the angels. And the way that we don't drift away in chapter 2, verse 1, is fixing, putting our full attention on the message of Christ. Now we look at chapter 2 of Hebrews. Let's give our attention to God's Word, His holy, inspired, and perfect Word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word this evening. Our Father, the riches of this passage are so, so magnificent. And so we ask, Lord, that you would take them. And Holy Spirit, you inspired these. Would you please write them now in our hearts? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. In May of this year, the Surgeon General of the United States declared that there was an epidemic 
of loneliness. 29% increased heart disease comes with loneliness, 32% higher chance of stroke, and 50% increased risk of dementia for those who are very, very lonely. And among the things that the Surgeon General said uh, was causing these things, there's uh, four or five causes that he uh, sees as he examines loneliness in our country. Certainly the sense that uh, people are socializing online, getting some perception that they know other people and uh, message with them and uh, see things online, uh, but when they turn off their devices, they turn off their phones or their computers, they're left terribly alone. Uh, the friends that are so-called digitally are no friends at all. Remember, a band uh, in my high school years wrote these words, I walk a lonely road, the only one that I've ever known, don't know where it goes, but it's home to me and I walk alone. I walk this empty street on the boulevard of broken dreams where the city sleeps and I'm the only one and I walk alone. And the chorus rings over and over again. My shadow is the only one that walks beside me. My shallow heart is the only one that keeps beating. Sometimes I wish that someone out there would find me, but till then, I walk alone. Have you ever experienced the loneliness of suffering, of sensing that what you are walking through, nobody has ever tasted before? Nobody has ever had to go through something quite like what you have to face. Have you ever sinned or been, been tempted with a sin and just been shocked by your nature and thought, there is nobody out there who gets this, who really understands the depravity of my heart? Have you been afraid of where sin takes you, that as the Bible tells us, the wage of sin is death? Sin in the Bible brings alienation. It brings loneliness. It cuts us off from God, and it also separates us from other people. Remember in the Garden of Eden, right when Adam and Eve had sinned, the thing that they experienced was nakedness and shame. And when God's presence enters into the garden, what do they do? They have to run and hide because what they've done causes them to have to separate themselves, and they become alone. The word that the author of the Hebrews has for us this evening is a good news, good word for those walking through loneliness who sense what I am walking through, no one has had to go through. As we'll see, Christ is able to know us in our sufferings. He has walked through temptation and he's conquered death for us such that we do not have to fear it. And he puts us back into relationship with one another. And that's the great, great news as a Christian. You don't walk this road as a Christian, as a believer, by yourself, isolated. You're put back into a community. God gives you to his church, and we're all given a role and a task and able to serve in the body. And all that is possible because Christ knows us in our weakness. He's been tempted like us, as we'll see he suffered. The author of Hebrews will even say he is fulfilled or he's been perfected through suffering and he's conquered death for us. Well, why does this passage come up here? As we saw in Hebrews chapter 1, 
The glories of Jesus was the focus for the author of Hebrews. He is greater than the prophets. He's saying, don't be distracted by uh, what the prophets uh, said in the Old Testament in the sense of don't look to them or go back to temple sacrifice or worship. Look to the, the way that those pointed forward to Christ. Don't be tempted to go back to Old Testament rituals. And for some reason, uh, those who received this letter were also somehow very impressed with angels. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, you have no clue how much greater Jesus is than the angels. The angels are tasked with worshiping Jesus. Let all God's angels worship him. They are messengers on behalf of God, and they worship him night and day. And what comes up in chapter 2 here. Another reason potentially why those receiving this letter were very uh, taken with angels, they were impressed with angels, is we learn something in the New Testament of the task that the angels had in the Old Testament. They declared the message uh, at Mount Sinai. So in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, 19, Paul says this, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place by angels. The text of Exodus 20 doesn't tell us there were angels there, but Galatians 3 is explaining something about that. And you remember in Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts, he says to those listening, you always rejected the prophets. Which ones of the prophets did you not persecute, you stiff-necked people? You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, if you are impressed with angels, uh, they were just servants giving the law to God's people. And he says in these first four verses, if it proved to be reliable, if the law had a specific requirements and uh, condemnations and punishments attached to it, how much more will we come under God's wrath if we reject this great salvation that has come to us? He's saying in this section, it's very reliable. It's very trustworthy. Now that Christ has come, no salvation is available. There's nothing new coming in salvation history. There's nothing to be revealed after this. Do not neglect Jesus. He's your treasure. He's your joy. Hold on to the testimony. He, he preached about it. We heard witnesses, and then there were signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed. And I'm not going to focus a lot on that, but the main point of verses 1 to 4 is just to say, listen now to Christ. Don't neglect this new revelation. If God had punishments in the Old Testament attached to the law, certainly he will also hold us accountable in the new covenant. But I want us to see as we organize these next verses, verses 5 to the end of chapter 2, four points as we look at this. The high calling of humanity, that's first. Then second, how low we've fallen from that calling and the loneliness that comes from that. Third, the Son is not ashamed of us as brothers and sisters. And then fourth, Jesus has become like us in every way. First, the high calling of humanity. Second, how low we've fallen in our calling and the loneliness that comes from that. Third, the Son not ashamed of us. And then fourth, Jesus has become like us in every way. 
Uh, again, in proving the, the son's superiority to angels, the uh, author of Hebrews does what he's been doing. He goes back to the Psalms, and he shows in Psalm 8 the great calling that humans had, that mankind had in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels for a time and crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything under his feet. You remember Adam and Eve were placed in the garden and they had this great, great calling. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. They had a job. They were supposed to be image of God, reflecting his glory in all creation. And they had authority over everything that God had made. Everything had been put under their feet and they had been given dominion over all things. God had intended the glory of His name to slowly trickle out from the garden all over the world and to fill the world with those exercising His rule in the world. That's the high calling of humanity. We were destined to rule the world, to have dominion, be fruitful, and multiply. But second, I want us to see the great, great fall from that high calling the world, if you haven't noticed it, is not how it was intended to be. We do not see, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Why do young babies die and parents are crushed with that experience? Why does adultery and pornography dominate and marriages are dashed in pieces? Why is there so much conflict between families such that we can barely hold together. Why can't I stop doing the things that I hate about my own desires, as Romans 7 would put it? We see three plagues of this fall from the high calling that God intended for us. I'm not going to take them in the order of the verses, but we'll gather them together in this point. Three plagues of the alienation uh, that comes from sin. First is suffering. Second is temptation. And ultimately the fear of death. First is suffering, then temptations on every side, and then the great fear of death. Suffering in this passage comes up twice. Jesus had to be uh, made like us in our sufferings. He has to taste our sufferings. And uh, he also... Uh, has to uh, be the captain of our salvation in our suffering. And suffering is a general term used here for all kinds of hardship and trial. One of my kids right now, every time that she gets a scrape, wants a Band-Aid. And we have to decide as parents, is this a good idea? Because when you put a Band-Aid on a young person, you also have to take that Band-Aid off. And with that comes great sh shouting and all kinds of uh, manner of uh, drama. And uh, if you imagine that little person going through her life, slowly all the, the, the scrapes and bruises are uh, covering her legs with Band-Aids. And you're just as a parent thinking, when will all these things uh, be ripped off this person? She's going to be uh, screaming. Uh, all of our life in some sense is full of suffering, physical and spiritual. Not necessarily for something we've done. Oftentimes we suffer the consequences of decisions other people made about our life, what our parents or grandparents did can orient our lives in certain directions, and we suffer under the curse and misery of this 
world. So in some sense, suffering is neutral, but temptation is not. Temptation is the second plague of the alienation that comes from our sin. Jesus has to be tempted in every way because we also are tempted. Temptation is the moral consequence of the fall, and there are thousands of temptations in this life. We can just walk through the Ten Commandments to get a quick sense of what kinds of temptations we face. Uh, We are worshipers, and so we often distribute our love and worship in all of the wrong places, breaking the first commandment. We set up images and worship and pursue them, hoping that there, finally, we will find peace and rest. We disregard God's name and his reputation. We break his third commandment. On Sundays, often the day of resurrection, we don't joyfully come to worship to honor the king of resurrection victory, and we break the fourth commandment. We don't give honor to those who are due. We laugh at people that we should respect and look up to. We break God's fifth commandment. We're tempted to hurt other people, to be against them, to uh, laugh about them, to be hateful toward them, uh, to speak or even to act in hateful ways and break the sixth commandment. We desire all kinds of sexual experiences outside of marriage that God does not condone. We want to take what isn't ours, the eighth commandment. We tell false stories about others and tear them down. And we covet the spouses or possessions of others. I wanted to give you a flash a sampling of temptations to show you that it is a massive smorgasbord of things that the Lord says, this is not what I intended for you. And yet we find our hearts lulled in many, many of these directions. And remember the point of where we are in the book of Hebrews. He's told us, you must pay more careful attention so you do not drift away He said the danger of drift is not necessarily a cataclysmic sin that happens once in your life, but the temptations that slowly uh, win over your heart and step by step, one day you find yourself wondering what happened to who I was as a Christian. This is the danger of drift that comes in slow, slowly given in to different temptations. But the third of these plagues is the lifelong fear of death. It says in these verses that Jesus had to taste death for everyone, that he had to be made like us, flesh and blood, so that we could conquer, that he could conquer the one who has power over a death. And the reason for this is that we are bound or we are suffering under the anticipation of death at the end of our life. We suffer throughout our life. We're tempted in many, many ways. But one day we know we will have to face God's last enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, is death. And death brings loneliness. One of the things that people who anticipate the last of their days feel is great isolation a sense that everyone else is going about their life and happy in their life uh, but they face that very very lonely end 
Remember again that Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden because of their sin, and they anticipate the day that they took of that tree, they would die, and yet that's postponed. And this book tells us that they and we all are anticipating death, and there is a great fear and a kind of bondage that comes with that. So if that's the high calling that humanity was called to, if that's the great way that we've fallen from that great position, third, we see that Jesus is proud to call us brothers. Jesus is proud to call us brothers. One of the things that uh, astounds me about our Savior, about Jesus, is that though he knew all of these realities that we've talked about, suffering in every way, temptation day and night and all throughout his life, and the death that he was anticipating. He doesn't turn away from his mission. He doesn't pull away from you and from me. Notice what he says about not being ashamed to call us brothers. Verse 11, he who sanctifies, those who sanctified, all have one source. That is why Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers. It's like he, he sees all of us as his people, and rather than turning away from us and leaving us to our loneliness and our isolation and sin, he says, Father, I will gather my brothers and my sisters. I will rejoice as I bring them into glory and take them to where they were intended to be. I know them in their sin, and yet I am proud to call them my brothers and my sisters. There's a connection between Christ and us. He's united. He's in solidarity with us as his brothers and sisters. And as we see our representative winning and going into glory, you see his great pride in welcoming and accepting you as his siblings in salvation. I was watching a... CONCACAF gold cup of soccer. Mexico playing Panama in the finals. And very, very difficult game as I watched my team kick uh, attempt at goal after attempt at goal. They had the most shots. They had all the possession. But the 87th minute comes three minutes away from the question of whether or not the game has to continue. And there's this sense of exasperation in the game because Mexico's played much better. And then the substitute comes out on the field. And fresh legs are running, and his name is Santiago Jimenez, and he gets the ball past midfield, and he takes on two or three defenders on his own, and he uh, makes his way through all the way, shoots and scores, and the stadium explodes. And he's having to run away from his teammates because his teammates are so excited that this one has conquered and won the victory in a way that they had not been able to do and there's this remarkable solidarity between even the bench running out and chasing after this one who has scored. And what did they do? What did the team do to accomplish victory? Absolutely nothing. And yet in this substitute who's gone out and shot the goal on their behalf, their whole team conquers and wins and he surrounds them and he, he's proud of them also. And it's a remarkable image of the fact that Christ does not turn away from us and bask in what he has done apart from us, but he welcomes us and says, what I have done I give to you and I'm proud to call you 
my brothers and sisters. It's very, very striking to me that Psalm 22 is quoted, verse 12. I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. You remember, Psalm 22 is one of the darkest psalms in the old, uh, in the Psalter, singing about the forsakenness and the loneliness of the Messiah who would come. All day and all night I cry out to you, O God, and you do not hear me. Uh, But he cries out and is rescued at the end of the psalm, and this verse is quoted, I will tell your name to my brothers. And why do you get to hear the praise of Jesus acknowledging you as his brothers, praising the Father together in the congregation because Christ has walked through the forsakenness that you deserved. Christ has been cast out on a cross, exiled out of the presence of the Father, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you can be included and welcomed as a sibling of the King who is proud to call you brother and sister. But if our sufferings can cause us to feel very alone and our temptations make us think, what kind of warped, wicked person am I? No one understands me. We read in these verses that Jesus, because he suffered, because he was initiated into those things, because he was tempted in every way without sin, he's able to help you in your weakness. He doesn't allow you to stay alone. He doesn't allow you to stay alienated. He comes into your reality and says, I understand your suffering. I get your temptation And I've done something about it in conquering death for you. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So if you sense that you often walk alone as if the shadow that shines next to you is the only other person in this world. Know that Christ has suffered, he's been tempted, and he's faced and conquered death. And you truly are not alone in those realities because Christ has gone through them. And Jesus says in the Gospels, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven because he is anticipating the dominating, the destroying of the dragon who has authority over death. The dragon was conquered as Jesus drank death for us. Remember, there's a cup of God's wrath that Jesus anticipates drinking, and he goes to the cross, and he knows precisely the fullness of what you and I have done, filling up this cup. And the author of Hebrews says, he drank it drip by drip and drop for drop, all the way down to the dregs, tasting death for you so that as you face the day of your death, you will know, I do not anticipate being separated from my father. Jesus has crashed through the grave. 
He's broken out into resurrection victory, and I don't have to be afraid anymore of my death. Death in the end is a passageway into life because Jesus says, I have the keys over death and Hades. You will not be alone in the day of your death because I have walked through death for you and you will know life everlasting in me. This is not just a reality between the Lord and us. See, in these realities, because Christ understands our sufferings, because he's walked through death for us and temptation, he gives us into community. I want to encourage you as you anticipate uh, small groups and other ministry this fall, look for opportunities to uh, speak about your sufferings, to speak about your temptation with other Christians. Don't walk alone because Christ has suffered and been tempted. He puts you into the community of the church. Look for opportunities uh, to gather with other Christians, to pray and to share the ways that you feel lonely and unable to overcome your temptations. Look for opportunities to fellowship with the person who looks isolated and lonely. And when you feel lonely and afraid, reach out to a believer and say, I need you to pray for me. I need you to be there for me because Christ has walked through this life and not left us alone. Please walk with me. The Lord puts us into his church and puts us into communities and fellowship. And we know as the captain has walked through death for us, as the author has faced death and conquered it, we as a whole church together will one day step into glory and honor. The children are brought into glory and honor. And may we support one another in very tangible and practical ways as we pray for each other, as we grow in the word in smaller contexts, and as we anticipate one day all suffering, all temptation, and death itself will be smashed under our feet and we will step into the very presence of our Savior and bask in that forever. Let's give thanks as we close. Lord God, we thank you that we don't walk alone, that we don't face, Lord, suffering and temptation and death isolated and alienated from you, Lord. But Jesus, you have tasted these realities for us and you have smashed the dragon who bound people in fear of death. And Lord, you give us back to each other. Please, Lord, as we sing these wonderful songs in this service, as we go out into different common and ordinary contexts, Lord, help us to see opportunities to go to coffee with one another, to pray for each other, to go out and share the gospel with each other and see, Lord, that we are not uh, lonely Christians cut off from everyone else, but we are members of your church and enabled, Lord, uh, to grow in the gospel side by side, walking and praying for and encouraging one another. And Lord, please fix our eyes on the captain of our salvation who's tasted death for us and given us the victory over it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise and sing. Come behold the wondrous mystery as we close.
going to have the benediction and then close with there is a higher throne. And just a reminder, if you're able to stay and help us with VBS, that would be a great help. Dear people of God, the Lord blesses you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen.